This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. The purpose of this talk is not to prove the existence of God, because we will maintain that there is plenty of evidence in our world to testify to us that God does exist. We might think of the wonders of the universe, the billions of stars we can see in the sky at night, which are but a tip of the vastness of our solar system. We might think of our world and the things we see in it, the the obvious design of a mere flower, the wonder of the human body or of the animal kingdom, the order in the way in which our world replenishes itself and the harmony with which different parts interact. The list is endless, and to me these things testify to the existence of a wonderful supreme creator who has made the universe, our world, and all the marvellous things that we find in them. And, And I suppose it is true that if you were to ask them, many people will look for some kind of order or some purpose or some ultimate explanation of the universe. But as to actually believing in God, they will say that they think that there is perhaps some kind of supreme being, but they are not at all sure as to who he is or what he is like. Many people have, shall we say, a vague and indefinite belief in God. They will say that, yes, there is some kind of God, but they can't be bothered to take it any further, and they'll leave it bizarrely until they actually die to find out uh, all about him and whether or not there is life after death. However, the Bible tells us plainly that he that cometh to God must believe that he, that he is, that is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So there's a vast difference between having a vague notion that there is perhaps some kind of higher high power and being certain of God's existence and of what he is offering in, in return for faithful service to him. Now the Bible is God's word to us. In the pages of the Bible, God is speaking to us. He's telling us about himself and about what he requires from us. I suppose much of the Bible is an account of the history of God's people, Israel. Time and time again, the point is forcibly made that Israel did accept that God does exist, but that belief was not matched by their faith in him and their ability to do as he commanded them. Uh, For example, Moses, their leader, said to them, Know therefore and consider it in thine hearts that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath there is none else. Thou shalt therefore keep his statutes and his commandments. Therefore, to simply have an awareness inside us that there is a God, well, it's not enough. God expects something in return, namely that we should recognise him in our hearts and in our lives, that we should have faith in him, and that we should obey his commandments. Many in the world would say it's Well, that's sufficient to simply have some form of belief in him, however vague, however fluid that may be. 
But God is telling us that he requires more than that from us. If we wish to approach him, we must have a concrete belief in him. We must have faith in him and we must try to behave in a way which is pleasing to him. And so this is our first important point this afternoon. God is a real being. In fact, it is a glorious theme of the Bible that God is revealed to us as a real being and Jesus as his only begotten son. Think about this. If, if God is not a real being, then it's impossible for him to physically have a son whom we are told was the express image of his person. And from our point of view, it becomes difficult to develop a personal living relationship with God if God is not a real entity, but rather some just rather just some vague concept in our minds. And yet the scriptures do hold out the promise to us that we will eventually actually see God. They actually tell us that we will see him. Uh, for example, in Matthew we read, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or we are exhorted by Paul to follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord's. Well, of course, in this life our understanding, our comprehension of our Heavenly Father, it's very limited. But in the future the promise is made that we shall see him. We shall have a much greater understanding you may recall that Job declares it, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God's. Therefore the point we're trying to make is that God is a personal, tangible being, and not some abstract idea in the mind of man. And this is emphasised to us time and time again throughout the Bible. The Bible constantly talks about God as being this personal being. In the Psalms we are told that God knows our frame. He understands that we are mortal flesh. And, and God actually wishes us to conceive him as a personal being with, with feelings who can sympathise with our frailty and with our mortality. We might think of the time of Noah. Uh, we read of God that it grieved him at his heart that he had created man. It, it broke his heart, as we might say today. God is a real entity. He's got feelings similar to us. Again, we might remember about David. He's a man after God's own heart, illustrating to us that God has a heart or a mind which is capable of being replicated to a limited degree by man himself. So this brings us to our second major point. If we believe that God is a real person, we want to know what he is like. And the answer put quite simply is that he is a father to both his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, and to all who will accept him as such. He is a father in every way that we would expect. From our experience of life, we know what it is like to have an earthly father. And we'll find this God's nature, God's character, God's way of behaving towards us is just like we would expect uh, of any physical and natural father. So given that God is a real person, who is our father, for the remainder of our time, we would like to consider the 
nature of God in two respects. Firstly, his physical nature, and secondly, his moral nature or his characteristics. Well, I think this is the, this is the most difficult thing. As mortal beings, it is very difficult for us to comprehend God's physical nature. We, we read in the Bible that God is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, for example, Psalm 90 tells us that before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has always been there. We can't understand that as in our human experience we have to comprehend a beginning and an end. And, and the Bible simply tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means that at the beginning of recorded time from the Bible God was already there. We don't know any more. Simply that from durations stretching backwards from creation without limits to duration stretching forward without limits. God is there. God was. God is. God will be forever. And it's very difficult for us in our mortal state to comprehend that. But it's also beyond doubt that God is all-powerful. Uh, Romans tells us that God's eternal power is revealed to us through his creation. Uh, Paul says, therefore, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godheads. We look around the world and see, <coughs> excuse me, we, we see the power of God. The sun, the moon, the stars, the order and balance of our worlds, the wonders of the animal worlds, the wonders of the human body. The seasons, they come and go. Day and night comes and goes. Man can do nothing to change all that. All that. In fact, man is at the mercy of the weather patterns and the power of our worlds. Think of the destruction caused by hurricanes or earthquakes or tsunamis. Man can do precisely nothing to protect himself from the power of nature or rather the power of God's. He's totally at the mercy of God and his supreme power. But God is also all-seeing and all-knowing. As the creator of this world, God knows completely and utterly all that goes on in our world and he even knows each one of us inside out. We read in Psalm 139 uh, all about this and he spells it out to us in no uncertain terms. Again, we read in the prophets that the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the worlds, uh, throughout the earth. God knows everything that goes on in the worlds. He's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. <coughs> in addition to these aspects of God, we are reminded in the Bible that there is no other gods. He alone is gods. There is none other. Mark tells us there is one God and there is none other than he. So that in very brief terms is the uh, physical nature of God's. So what, what then about God's moral nature? How do we know what God is like? What, what is his character? 
Well, Jesus makes it plain to us that anyone who has seen Jesus and how he behaves, behaves, what his attitudes are, what his character is like, Jesus says that they have seen God and they have seen his character. Well, there was an occasion, this is found in John chapter 14, (coughs) uh, when the disciples were assembled with Jesus at the uh, Last Supper. And Philip, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, he said to Jesus, uh, this is found uh, verses 7 and 8 of John chapter uh, 14, well, verse 8 of John 14. Um, Philip says to Jesus, um, show us the Father. Well, Jesus was astounded by this request from Philip, uh, which we found in this uh, verse. And in the previous verse, Jesus had just said to his disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and see him. And so to this, Philip says, Well, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Well, Philip didn't understand. And Jesus said to Philip in verse 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He had been Jesus' disciple for three and a half years. He'd walked with Jesus, he'd seen how he'd reacted to those who approached him. He had listened to the teachings of Jesus. He got to know his character for all that time. And Jesus questioned whether or not Uh, whether he knew him or not and then in verse 8 Jesus adds he that hath seen me hath seen the father and in verse 10 he adds uh, that the father dwells in him and that he is in the father and the father in him so from this we understand that anybody who wants to know God to know the character of God to understand how um, God behaves towards us needs only to look at Jesus and see what he is like. So if you look at Jesus and see what he is like, then we will truly know the moral nature of God, the way he treats man and the way he reacts towards man. Well, of course, we, we can see this from uh, uh, throughout the four Gospels. Uh, also, the epistles we have recorded in the New Testament, um, even a great deal of prophecy in the Old Testament, they all spell out to us, what Jesus was like and consequently we learn what uh, God's nature is like but I'd like to think briefly about uh, the main attributes of Jesus uh, as recorded in the Gospels well if we read the Gospels we cannot help but see (laughs) the pure love and the patience that Jesus showed to those around him he'd always got time for those who approached him Even though he was exhausted and tired out, he healed those who came to him with all manner of ailments and diseases. The blind, the lepers, those who couldn't walk, those with mental illnesses, the outcasts of society. And Jesus even raised people from the dead when their distraught parents or family members approached him. (coughs) And Jesus never turned anybody away. He always had time for them, and he never thought about himself. In short, he was long-suffering. He showed love and forgiveness to those whom he encountered. Uh, Matthew, Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, they treated their fellow citizens, and yet Jesus forgave them. 
We might think about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He freely forgave all who came to him who acknowledged their sins. He was loving, kind, compassionate, understanding, long-suffering and ready to help all who came to him. And such is the nature of God. God is truly a God of love and compassion. He will abundantly pardon our sins and our very many shortcomings. There's no limit to his mercy and his, and his forgiveness as long as we are willing to approach him and trust in him and have faith in him. Because it was to those who approached him that Jesus showed these attributes. If somebody wanted to be healed of a disease, they came to him, they approached him, and they trusted in him. And similarly with us, we need to approach God and have a relationship with him. But people often forget the other side to Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, yes, they approached Jesus, but their motives were not pure. We read in the Gospels of how they tried to trick Jesus and catch him out. They tried at every opportunity to discredit him and make him unpopular with the people. So that in turn they would have admiration and popularity with the people themselves. Well of course they were unsuccessful. And we read throughout the Gospels of how Jesus criticised them and they felt the backlash of his tongue. We read also of how Jesus turned on the money changers in the temple, of how he overthrew their tables and drove them out. Jesus knew that they were trying to commercialise the things of God, make large amounts of money from the ordinary worshippers in the temple. Jesus could plainly see how the religious leaders of the day, they had corrupted the true message and the ordinance of God his Father, and Jesus, yes, he stood up to them. So we have two aspects to the uh, character of Jesus and consequently to that of God's. On the one hand we see the infinite mercy, love and forgiveness of Jesus and of God's. But on the other we see his judgments on those who neglected to try to do his Father's will. And we, and we find in Romans chapter 11 that uh, this is all summed up for us by the um, Apostle Paul. This is found in uh, Romans chapter 11. And in Romans 11 at verse uh, 22, Paul says there, Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God, on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Romans 11 is a chapter that, uh, where Paul reminds us that God did judge Israel. And the judgments of God, they did fall upon many of God's chosen people. He reminds us at the start of the chapter in verse 2 about Elijah, of how he approached God and claimed he was the only one left in Israel who hadn't turned away uh, from him. But God replied to Elijah that there were in fact 7,000 of his loyal servants left in Israel, not just him. However, throughout the chapter, Paul makes the case that God's judgments did fall upon Israel. Yet there's always a way back, a route for repentance. We might think of the times of Noah, of how God judged the world because of their evil ways. Yet, 
there, there was always a time for man to repent before the flood came. We can think of Sodom and Gomorrah, how God's wrath was poured out upon them. Uh, Israel in the wilderness, they were not, not immune from the judgments of God's. In fact, Israel's history is littered with examples of how God punished them for their wicked ways. Even in the time after the life of the Lord Jesus, God poured out his judgments on Jerusalem because they had put the Son of God to death. The crowd had shouted at that child of Jesus, His blood be upon us and our children. Their words came back to haunt them in AD 70 when the Romans took Jerusalem and many bad things happened to them. But there was still a way out for those who gave heed to the advice of Jesus in the Mount Olivet Prophecy. They had a chance to flee the Roman armies. But this chapter in Romans talks about the goodness and the severity of God. There is goodness, there is forgiveness to all who approach him and repent and try to do his will. But there is the severity of God upon those who turn their back on him and go their own wicked way. And of course, the judgment of God will be revealed upon this world on the day when Jesus returns. But on that day, the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God will equally be upon those who serve him and recognise him. And this is the goodness and the severity of God, as outlined to us by the Apostle Paul. It's important, therefore, that we are aware of this, as many in our world say, say that God is a God of love. They say that it doesn't matter what we do because of that loving kindness. It'll be okay in the end, they say, but this is not what the Bible teaches. We need to be aware of these two attributes of God's. So as the day of our Lord's return approaches, we need to prepare ourselves for his return. We need to be ready I'm watching, I'm waiting for Jesus. And, and the best way to prepare for that day is to approach God, to get to know him through the pages of the Bible. We can approach God through prayer. We can build a relationship with him. And in turn, he will walk with us in life. He will guide us on the path that leads to life. The Proverbs tell us, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So if we want to know what God is like, we need to see Jesus. We need to see how Jesus behaved, how he reached uh, to people and to situations. We need to listen to the things he said, to his teaching and his approach to life. Because he who has seen Jesus has seen God's. He who understands Jesus understands what God requires of us. He who obeys the teaching and the commands of Jesus who tries to emulate him in life will please God and be recognised by Jesus on the day of his return. And of course our prayer is that that day may be, may be soon. For the promise is truly made in the pages of the Bible, blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.